1980, Denny Bueller was a 24-year-old guy with three kids and leukemia. He needed a bone marrow transplant, and in those days, that was not available in Cincinnati, where he lived. He had to go to Seattle with his sister, who was the donor, and his wife. Well, I remember my dad, and I'm the only one of my siblings who does. This is Denny's oldest daughter, Jenny Spring. She was four when he went to Seattle. I do remember knowing he was sick. I remember, you know, we lived with um, his parents, my gra- our grandparents, while he and my mom and Aunt Cynthia were in Seattle. It was a long-distance relationship. Letters, sending tapes back and forth. In those days, long-distance phone calls were expensive. I remember reading my first book, Go Dog Go, onto a cassette tape and sending it out to Seattle. Back home, Denny's other sister, Mary Beth, organized a softball tournament to raise money for all the expenses. Flights to Seattle, places to stay. And that softball tournament, that one-off event that was part of one family's struggle, became the germ of something that is now, 40 years later, starting to help a lot of people. This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weiss. bone marrow transplant worked, but Denny died of pneumonia a few months later, February 14th, 1981. We had a Valentine's Day party at school. I was in kindergarten. And my mom's brother, my Uncle Tim, came to pick me up from school, which was very strange. And he took me over to my dad's parents' house. And I remember I was eating a red heart-shaped lollipop sitting in the front seat of the car because kids were allowed to do that back then. And uh, I remember he stopped hard, and I bit down on the lollipop. It broke in my mouth, and I looked over at him, and, and I realized he was trying not to cry. They got there. The whole family was there, both sides, all waiting to give her the news. I remember I said my daddy died. And that left the family in a tough situation, not just emotionally. You know, he was 24. And then my mom, you know, same age, three kids, five and under, high school diploma, trying to figure out how to make things work. You know, we didn't have a whole lot. This is Jenny's brother, Ed, four years younger. You know, there were times where we had to go grocery shopping at grandma and grandpa's house, you know. (laughs) That is true. I remember, yeah, we'd go in and, you know, mom would take food from the cabinets in the fridge and we'd take it home. And I, you know, they knew she was doing it. They they bought extra and it was just, you know, nobody talked about it, but that was the way it worked for a while. The grandparents also stepped forward to help out in bigger ways, like... They purchased a house for the family in a close-knit little suburb, Green Hills. Good schools, sense of community, all thanks to Grandma and Grandpa. Without them, I don't, I don't know where we would have been. You know, as a teacher, I work with a lot of kids that come from low-income families, and they tell me about their lives, and I, you know, I reflect on that. That's so easily how things could have been for my family without support from both sets of grandparents. The life Jenny's grandparents made possible included more than just food and shelter, a sense of safety. Being part of that community meant time for celebration, for play. And Green Hills meant softball. There's a drive to left. We kind of grew up at the ball field. You know, my mom played, 
my Aunt Mary Beth, it, it was just, you know, kind of that softball life. And it's hard to know in my memory where, you know, the separation is between just being up there because they were playing in leagues and when the tournament began. The tournament. After Denny died, his sister Mary Beth and her friends organized a second tournament. This one was to help out a friend who'd gotten into a motorcycle accident. After that, the tournament became an annual tradition. We're at Spoils Field in Green Hills for the 15th annual Denny Beeler Memorial Charity Softball Tournament. There was pretty much always somebody in the community to help, somebody with big medical problems, not enough money, sometimes more than once somebody. For Denny Beeler's kids, the tournament was part of every year's routine. My whole life, you know, it's just been, well, it's like Christmas or, you know, Easter or New Year's. It's like a holiday for us and the family, you know. We have another one that just happens to come in July. Ed was an athletic kid, couldn't wait to be able to play in the tournament himself. He had to wait till he was 17. Then, not that many years later, when Ed was 25, a group of friends that had been running the tournament said they were ending it. They ran it for 25 years and they were they were just ready to be done. They were like, we're, you know, we made it 25 years. It, it ran its course. These folks had been young when they started it, in their mid-20s. That was 1980. Now it was 2005. They had enjoyed a lot of good times. They'd worked hard. They'd helped dozens of people, played a lot of softball, drank a lot of beer. It was a thing they had done for a long, important period in their lives. For Denny Bueller's kids... It was more than that. It was an annual tradition they had always known, not for part of their lives, their whole lives. It was a celebration they could count on, a community event, a chance for their family, a family that had struggled to be in a position to give back, to be leaders. And it was a legacy from the dad they had grown up without. Jenny, for one, was not ready for it to end. A couple of her friends and her husband said they would help, of course, Ed was game two. Jenny told her Aunt Mary Beth she wanted to take over the tournament. And she was a little skeptical because I'll tell you what, when I was, oh gosh, back then, let me think, what was I doing in life? I was singing in a punk band. (laughs) I probably had pink hair. The band was called the Hypochondriacs. This is their hit. These days, Jenny is a teacher and a leader for her daughter's Girl Scout troop. She sings with a community choir with 1,200 members that she helped start. But at the time? I didn't have a, a big track record for taking on projects and responsibilities. I had learned to book and promote shows, and I guess that would be the first type of project that I took on, was promoting punk rock bands. But, you know, to my family, that wasn't a serious thing. That wasn't... (laughs) But, of course, Jenny's Aunt Mary Beth wasn't about to tell her no, she couldn't try. Mary Beth introduced Jenny to the rest of the committee that had run the tournament. They taught her what they could about how the thing worked, and then... It was up to her and whoever she could round up. So I remember the first year we did the tournament just not being able to sleep, you know, just being so nervous about if we were going to be able to pull it off. It was my brother, my sister, my husband, a few of my friends, the guitar player from my band coming up there with purple hair. They pulled it off, barely. And they had a lot to learn. 
For instance, for a long time, the most important moneymaker for the whole event has been running a grill, hot dogs and burgers, selling food. But the new generation's first time out, they didn't make much. It turned out their idea for staffing the grill had some built-in problems. The idea seemed like a way to quickly grab some extra volunteer power. When a team got eliminated, their players would take a turn staffing the grill. And then we realized, wait, we're not making any money because they're just giving all the food away, <laughs> you know, to, to their friends. They lost and, and they're handing out burgers and hot dogs like they're candy. Over time, Jenny and Ed and the rest of their crew tightened things up and got a lot more volunteers and made some new rules. These days, the tournament raises about $10,000 a year. Here's how it works. There's 18 teams, double elimination. Legend killers do up, and leading things off will be Berg. Starts Friday night, like half a dozen games, then up bright and early on Saturday, there till late at night, then all day Sunday, maybe into the evening. Just past the third baseman. Ed says a couple thousand people might come every year. A lot of games, a lot of beer, burgers, corn on the cob. And we got a ground ball. In 2015, 10 years after the new generation took over, they took a new step, turning this ad hoc event, this thing that had just somehow kept going for more than 30 years, into an institution. They incorporated as the Denny Bueller Memorial Foundation, an official tax-exempt nonprofit organization. The idea was they could start to think bigger. You know, we're working really hard. We're doing really good things that we, we all really like and we're all really bought into. But the impact is is relatively small for the amount of work that, that goes into it. You know, I don't want to say $10,000 is not a lot of money, but life is hard. And when something's gotten in your way, $10,000 doesn't go really, really far. We would love to help more people. And so we talked for a long time about what that should be. And when I say talk, I mean we argued. <laughs> and when she says a long time, she means two years. The foundation was incorporated in 2015. In the fall of 2017, they were still talking. And then, one day, inspiration. Inspiration that has led Ed and Jenny and the foundation to help their neighbors to the tune of a million dollars so far. That's right after this. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production of Public Road Productions and Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit newsroom that covers healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the giant healthcare provider Kaiser Permanente. We'll have a little more on Kaiser Health News at the end of this episode. So, fall 2017. Jenny was driving home from seeing a friend. And I had been talking to her about, you know, the foundation and how we were struggling to come up with an idea. She passed through a neighborhood dense with hospitals. So I'm driving through this hospital district and just all of a sudden I thought about what John Oliver did. The year before, in 2016, the comedian John Oliver had done one of his most famous stunts on his HBO TV show Last Week Tonight. It was about a whole industry lots of us had never heard of. The buying and selling of debt especially medical debt. It turns out, if you're hearing from a debt collector about an old debt, they probably don't represent whoever you originally got in debt to, like, say, a hospital. At some point, the hospital or whoever sold your debt, really the right to collect on it, to somebody else for a lot less than you owed. And that debt buyer can then come after you for the full original amount. And if it can't collect, potentially it can then resell that debt for a fraction of what it paid to someone else who can still come after you for the original amount. Or sell it to somebody else for even cheaper. To the point 
where really old debts sell for pennies on the dollar, actually less than pennies. To demonstrate how cheap it was and how easily debt was bought and sold, John Oliver bought $15 million in old medical debt for less than half a cent on the dollar. We thought, well, instead of collecting on the money, why not forgive it? Because on one hand, it's obviously the right thing to do. But much more importantly, we'd be staging the largest one-time giveaway in television show history. So what do you say? Are you ready to make television history? It was just like an inspiration. I was like, this is the idea. She got home and got to work. You know, I pulled out my laptop and I started researching and... She found that John Oliver had worked with a nonprofit that specializes in raising money to buy and forgive old medical debts. They're called RIP Medical Debt. John Oliver had vetted them. Check. Good sign. She kept going. A few hours later, she was talking with Jerry Ashton, one of the group's co-founders. I said, how are you doing this? How does this work? And she liked what she heard. I love their story of how... They were debt collectors and realized how they could use that power for good. Yep. Jerry Ashton and Craig Antico had been debt collectors for decades. They reversed course after working with volunteers from Occupy Wall Street who had raised money for a project called Rolling Jubilee to buy up and forgive old debts. We were basically a back office for them. This is Jerry. They went out and they raised uh, $700,000 eventually. Jerry says he and Craig helped them use that money to buy up and forgive $30 million in debt. And when the rolling jubilee wound down, Jerry and Craig started RIP Medical Debt. That was in 2014. The first year or so, we starved to death. But then John Oliver discovered us. John Oliver brought folks to them, folks like Jenny Spring. This year, RIP Medical Debt has raised enough money to pay off a billion dollars in old debt. Craig Antico says two things allow them to do it for about a penny on the dollar. One is they are buying old debts, hard to collect on debts. The companies that own these debts now, the right to collect on those debts, they don't expect to get 100% of what's owed or anything like it. And anything they get, they're going to spend years chasing. Let's say they're only going to collect 2% over the next 10 years. Cash up front sounds good. The other thing is RIP medical debt is buying in bulk. If I went to a hospital and said, I see you have a $1,000 bill here for Jane, and I offered them $10, they're going to laugh. If I put a 1,000 of those Janes together... That's worth talking about. Instead of a 1,000 negotiations for $10 each, it's one negotiation for $10,000. So it's only because we abolish so much debt at one time that they're willing to do this. Jenny took it all in. It added up. I came to the board meeting and I and I said, hey, look, here's a little bit of research I've done. And I think purchasing and forgiving medical debt. And everybody was like, yes. I mean, the consensus was instant. That was the fall of 2017. In November, Jenny and Ed went to New York to meet the RIP medical debt founders in person. By January 2018, the board had decided they were in. With some details to work out. The interesting thing is the the roadblock that we ran into was, oh, man, but we love the tournament so much. (laughs) They took it slow, waited until that year's softball tournament before even announcing what they had in mind. You know, we printed up some flyers that kind of explained it. We wanted to be really sure that everybody knew that we weren't changing the softball tournament. That was July 2018. It took almost another year before they actually raised money for the new initiative. Finally, in June 2019, they put on an event at a local bar. 
They called it Blues, Booze, and Brunch. They charged 20 bucks, 10 for kids, and put out a taco bar for the spread. If you ordered a Bloody Mary from the bar, a dollar went to the cause. For entertainment, there was a blues band led by one of Jenny's old punk rock pals. There was a grill on site, and they figured out how to scramble eggs on it, but everything else had to be made in advance. Let's see, our board member Tracy spent about an hour cracking eggs before we went up there. My sister baked breakfast muffins and little pastries and things like that for weeks and put them in her freezer. That raised the first couple thousand. A few weeks later, the tournament went ahead as usual, raising money for a teacher's aid at a local school with five kids and kidney cancer. And then it was back to raising money to forgive medical debt, doing whatever they could think of. Local brew pubs hosted events. A dollar for every pint sold on a fundraiser night went to the cause. And there was a lot of going on Facebook, asking friends to chip in $5 or 10 People work hard. And we're living in a time where wages are not keeping up with, you know, the cost of things. And so it's hard to give for a lot of families. But when people realize 10 bucks can become $1,000 that helps somebody out in a really impactful way, then they're willing to donate. Ed's kids made tags for Christmas gifts, you know, like from Dan to whoever. My wife broadcasted it on Facebook. Hey, we're making gift tags. You can buy six of them for $5. And they they raised $255 just making Christmas gift tags. Which, because of the multiplier effect, means they wiped out more than $20,000 in medical debt with Christmas tags. The group did a bunch of asks on Giving Tuesday at the beginning of December. Jenny says they raised $2,000 on Facebook that way, which took them over the top. They had raised more than $12,000, enough money to buy that first million dollars worth of medical debt. People are just going to get this magic envelope in the mail. Magic envelopes. That say you had this debt that had gone to collections and it was purchased and forgiven. You never have to worry about it again. They called RIP Medical Debts and said, we are ready to pay off that first million. What next? And immediately they come back and say, oh, there's about $37 million in your area. (laughs) Like if you wanted to take on the whole of Cincinnati, basically. Uh, Well, we do. We intend to. (laughs) We're going to keep going. There's no reason to stop. Medical debt is unlike any other kind of debt. You choose to take on the debt or you choose to die. Yeah. And it's just, it's not right. It's not right. And it's like I tell my kids, when you have everything that you need, it's your job, it's your responsibility to help people who don't. And I believe that to my core, because that's what people did for us when we needed it. Jenny says, we're living in weird times. It is easy to be cynical. But this, making things a little bit better, this is what we're here for. It's what we owe to each other. And why not? What else do you have to do? (laughs) (laughs) You can look at this story in at least a couple ways. And... One of them is actually a huge downer. The guys who run RIP Medical Debt say this country generates $220 billion in medical debt every year. They would have to raise $2 billion a year to pay that off every year, which is more than 200 times what they've done so far. And remember, RIP Medical Debt is only able to get this incredible multiplier, taking 10000 bucks, paying off a million dollars in debt, because these are old debts. 
That means the people who get the magic envelopes, these folks have been carrying these debts for years. That is years of getting harassed with calls, letters, years with a lousy credit score, making it harder to buy a house or a car, harder to get a job or rent an apartment because employers and landlords, they look at your credit score too. And of course, I could throw a million numbers at you illustrating how overwhelmingly big the problem is. Bankruptcies, GoFundMe, all of it. But I'm looking at this a different way, which is we're not dead yet. There are victories to be had here. A few neighbors run a taco bar and make tags for Christmas presents and pay off a million dollars in debt, send out those magic envelopes. That is great. That is a victory. And it is something that got invented just in the last few years. There are victories here for us. We can seize them and we can build on them. When I talk about what I do on this show, what my role is, one thing I say a lot is, with healthcare in this country, it's like we're walking across a battlefield, all of us, with bullets flying everywhere. And some of us have better armor for now. We got the kind of jobs that come with health insurance that protects us. But the costs are going up and there's more bullets all the time. And we're losing people that we care about. And I'm not a general with a battle plan. I mean, no way. And I'm not a guide with a map who knows the way. I'm a scout. That is my training as a reporter. I am a guy who's good at looking around the next corner and at having a decent sense of which corner it might be smart to look around and sizing things up quick and reporting back. That's what I'm trying to do here, make the best use of my training, my skills in this crazy situation, this mess. We're all in together. And one thing we need... As much as we need the best information we can get is we need to keep our spirits up. Take our victories where we can get them. Encourage each other. It's like Jenny said. (laughs) What else do you have to do anyway? So, we will have links to RIP Medical Debt and that great John Oliver video about the debt industry on our website at armandalegshow.com. And, of course, you'll find a link to support this show there, too. We've got a lot of work to do together. I've been asking for your help, and you have been coming through in a major way. You will hear a bunch of names at the end of this episode of people who have just come aboard as supporters. I cannot tell you how much it means to me. It makes me feel so encouraged to keep going. We are here to help each other every mile of the way. Thank you. Next time on An Arm and a Leg... We take this season's theme of self-defense in a different direction. Staying out of the doctor's office. Watching your back. Literally. I'll be talking with Katherine Jacobson-Raymond. She is the author of Crooked, Outwitting the Back Pain Industry and Getting on the Road to Recovery. About 10 years ago, she was an investigative journalist with a bad back. Really bad. Like, she was trying to book herself for surgery. But then she started learning more. And more. She put her training to work, and she found the treatments that get prescribed for back pain, surgery, drugs, you name it, mostly do not work. Hugely expensive. Often leave people worse off. And she found what works. That's next time on An Arm and a Leg. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode was produced by me, Dan Weissman. Our editor is Ann Hepperman. Our consulting managing producer is Daisy Rosario. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. 
Special thanks this week to George Drake Jr., who drove from Dayton to Cincinnati twice to record our interviews with Ed Bueller and Jenny Spring. He also recorded Jenny listening to her old band. Stick around another minute for that. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. That's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare provider. They share an ancestor. That's it. This guy, Henry J. Kaiser. He had his hands in a lot of different stuff. It's a fun story. You can check it out at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast, and Tanya English is senior editor for broadcast innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. And they're awesome. Finally, thank you to some of our new backers on Patreon. We could not do this without you. Pledge two bucks a month or more. You get a shout out right here. Thanks this week to Rory Cornelius, Mr. G, Dana Becker, Karen Vogel, Catherine Souza, Dr. Brad King, Paul Reisinger, Tom Tackney, John Wood, Becky Ledefsky, Cheyenne Munzer, Stephen Cutberth, David Turner, Sophie Peterson, Brian Weston, Michael Fisher, Braden Barnes, Eve B. Poday, John B. Wright, Kathleen Kendall, Celia Yopis Jepson, Richard Loomis, Mitch Serpernaw, Jason Mahler, Olivia McGuire, Lauren Gorosh, Gloria Contreras, Andrew Garcia, Justin B. Moore, Stephen Strati, Stephen Johnson, Lisa Jean Reswick, and Christine Pollitt. As a way of saying thanks, here is Jenny Spring, do-gooder, choir nerd, mom, and Girl Scout troop leader, listening to one of her old punk rock songs for the first time in a dozen years. It's kind of violent. <laughs> Oh my god so it, it was uh i'm tired of your <laughs> i'm tired of your and i don't care if you cry you better quit before i sock you in the eye 